As Kevin said, we're starting something new this morning. We call it Every Knee. We're excited to roll it out for you guys. But to introduce it to you, we've made a video. Now, this video is a little longer than our normal ones at Grace. We would ask you to to watch all the way to the end. It will walk you through all the details of where God is calling our church next. So if you'll check out the screens. Out of infinite power, wisdom, and love... God created men and women to know him, to enjoy him, to reflect his beauty on earth. He created us in his own image so that we could spread his glory throughout all of creation. Even when we rebelled and ran from God, he loved us and he pursued us. He sent his own son, Jesus, to become one of us, to die for our sins and rise from the dead. And because of him, we have life as a free gift. This is the story of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He brings dead hearts to life, transforms relationships, cities, and nations. He brings order from chaos, hope from despair, purpose from confusion. The grace of God in Christ changes everything. This is the story of God's grace, and it is also the story of Grace Bible Church. For more than 50 years, Grace Bible Church has devoted itself to helping people find and follow Jesus in our community and throughout the world. Coming to an understanding that people will excel in every way in life when they have the freedom and knowledge that they are loved no matter what is an incredible gift. The examples that have gone before us, the elders that I served with starting in the 80s and the men that taught the Sunday school classes and into their 80s, laid out a foundation for an example of we're here to serve until the day we die. What changes our life is seeing other people's lives changed. That, that turned our life upside down. God's Word teaches us to live with eternal significance and motivates us to give our lives to others just as Christ gave His life for us. Since our small church family first met, Grace has sought to accurately teach Scripture and humbly live out the commandments that Jesus has given us. Our sermons have over 50,000 views in more than 150 countries. Our Bible studies are used by thousands of people around the world. This is an ongoing testament to the world's hunger for the Word of God. Coming into college, I was looking to find out who I was, not find out who God was at all. I had stopped allowing myself to feel and to be known by other people just because I felt like No one really saw me and no one really understood. Uh, I actually came to Christ during worship here at Grace. He came and he found me in my brokenness and he told me that I have intrinsic worth and that he loves me so much that he um, sent down his one and only son and that he came down himself. 70,000 students now attend Texas A&M and Mumbling College, students who will shape the future of our nation and world. Currently, 2,500 of these college students enter our doors every Sunday. We want them to leave changed by the gospel and motivated to share the name of Jesus wherever God takes them next. And we hope in the years to come to reach even more of these students and connect them to healthy families in our church body who will equip them to serve Jesus for a lifetime. From the very beginning of our church, it was affirmed that we would not exist for our own comfort, but instead so that the nations could hear the good news of Jesus. 
Before our congregation was even able to pay a full salary to the senior pastor, the church stepped out in faith to sacrificially support four missionaries at the enormous sum of $10 per month. God has more than honored that courageous commitment, and He's allowed our missionaries to plant over 1,600 churches worldwide. He has grown our missions budget from $40 per month to more than half a million dollars every year. Being a part of a church that is mission-minded is easily one of the coolest and most unique experiences because I feel like there are so many churches that really don't care about missions. But when I found out that Grace was like, no, no, we're going to get this out there. Like we, we want to spread it. We want to get this as, as broad as we can in order for other, as, for as many ears as possible to hear. I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. I'm sold. Grace Bible Church began in 1965 with just 10 families. And now 52 years later, we are a thriving multi-site congregation numbering more than 5,000 people. It was just 10 years ago that God stirred our hearts in a new way. He made it clear that Grace could no longer effectively reach this community or send disciple makers to the world from a single location. He laid on the hearts of our elders a multi-site strategy that expands our capacity to equip and send followers of Jesus into our community and throughout the nations. In 2008, with our location on Anderson Street overflowing, we launched the Southwood Campus. As Southwood grew from one service to two services and spreading into the foyer, we knew God was stretching our faith yet again. And so seven years after starting Southwood, we launched our Creekside campus. In the past two years, Creekside has gone from one to two services and doubled in size. We now have 400 worshipers and 150 children each week and have even sent our first two international missions teams from Creekside. Throughout the entire history of Grace Bible Church, every time we have taken courageous steps of faith, God has rewarded our obedience by empowering us to tell even more people about His grace. God has already accomplished so much more than we asked or imagined. And yet we know that our work is not yet complete. Now is not the moment for us to congratulate ourselves or become complacent. Our community continues to grow faster than grace-filled churches are being planted. And throughout the world, there are college campuses that the body of Christ is not yet reaching. And so we believe that God is calling us to yet another step of courageous faith. In fact, we believe that we should never stop taking steps of courageous faith, boldly sharing the gospel and making disciples until the day our Lord Jesus returns, until the day when every knee in heaven and on earth will bow to Jesus Christ. That biblical vision has led us to call this next season in the life of our church, Every Knee. This initiative is going to require the participation of everyone in our church family. Our primary goal is that during this season, every one of us will learn more deeply what it means to love God and worship Him from an undivided heart. That every one of us and all of us together will experience the joy of generously giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus. We have asked the Lord to show us what kind of impact He wants us to make for His glory. This has led us to our secondary goal of raising $32 million over the next two years to reach our neighbors and the nations while continuing to pursue the ministry that we do every day. Our current budget is just under $6 million every year. 
That's what it takes to fund all the current ministry that Grace is doing. Over the next two years, this $12 million puts us over a third of the way toward funding our vision for every need. As Bryan College Station continues to grow, we want to press forward. Our hope is that every neighbor will have the opportunity to hear and respond to God's grace in Jesus Christ and fellowship in a disciple-making community. Because of this, we are seeking to establish a permanent facility for our Creekside campus while also taking steps toward establishing our next local campus. To continue expanding our reach to our surrounding neighbors, we are seeking to raise $18 million. Throughout our entire history, Grace Bible Church has joined with like-minded followers of Jesus to share the gospel and plant churches among the nations. Within the next two years, we plan to partner with other churches and networks to plant one new church near a strategic university campus in the United States and one new church near a strategic university campus internationally. In order to provide support for these new plants, we are seeking to raise $2 million. Altogether, our commitment to continue in ministry every day, even as we stretch to reach every neighbor and every nation, totals $32 million over the next two years. We are making steps toward establishing us. We'll partner together in our church's vision as we step forward. William Carey, the great missionary pioneer, once said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What we sense that God has laid on our hearts feels a bit overwhelming, but also exciting. And so first, we ask that you pray fervently. We know that apart from the movement of God's Spirit, nothing of eternal significance is accomplished in this world. So let's pray that our church would move forward in humility and dependence, but also with boldness, because we know that the growth of His church is the longing of God's heart. Remembering God's faithfulness to us over the years, that God gave us everything. Are we honoring him with everything uh, that he's given us? And then as we look forward and we want him to continue to use us, will we honor him with everything that he's going to give us in the future? Second, let's give generously from the resources God has given us, whether small or great. Everything we have belongs to him. Allow God to grow your generosity and your faith as together we seek to follow him. When you are giving or when you're giving, whether it's time or whether it's financially, I think that you're just expressing this love for God and for God's people. Finally, celebrate boldly the vision God has given us. Share your enthusiasm for all that God has done and continues to do in every one of us at Grace over the next two years. I look back um, and, and, and almost reenact the gospel over and over as far as what Christ has done for me. And I say that I am pardoned and I am forgiven. And the more that I realize that, then the giving is more of an outflow. God wants every man, woman, and child to know Jesus, and so do we. He is our God and our King. He is worthy of our offerings and our worship. He is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. All right, that was a lot of information, so let me summarize it for you. What is every knee? It is simply the next step 
we believe God is calling our church to take over the next two years. And ultimately, that expression, every knee, it is about introducing more and more people here in this town and around the world to the outrageous and extravagant love of Jesus so that they bow the knee to him as Savior. So that is the goal. Let me walk you back through some of the primary ideas. We mentioned in the video that in this Every Knee initiative, the first and primary goal for us, we want want to challenge each and every one of us over these next couple years to learn to give all that we are and all that we have to Jesus. So over these next two years, we're going to be challenging one another, myself included, to grow in our generosity to God. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time, your skills, your resources, everything that you have to offer. We're going to be challenging one another to become more generous. And not just in our giving to Grace Bible Church. This is about much more than just Grace Bible Church. This is about the rest of your life. Our hope is that wherever you go next, whatever church you move to, whatever city you go to, you will become more and more generous in your giving to Jesus because he is worthy. So we're going to take the next five weeks and really talk about that, growing in our generosity to Jesus. So goal number one is challenge all of us to give all we are and all we have to Jesus. The second goal, as we mentioned in the video, is to raise the funds for what we believe God has challenged us to do in the next couple of years. And I know that that was a lot of money that was talked about on the video. The grand total, you add it all up, is $32 million. But you may remember from the video, $12 million of that is simply the budget we already spend in the course of two years. We're a very large church, 5,000 people, four campuses already. That requires approximately $6 million a year just to do what we currently do as a church. So two years of that, that's $12 million. Then we talked about how reaching every neighbor here in the town, that's $18 million for Creekside and to begin campus number four. We don't know where that campus will be. We're already beginning to plan for that, though. Now, $18 million is a lot. $16 million of that is to build the Creekside campus itself. Just to clarify, we're not being extravagant. It's the same size as Southwood. It is just incredibly expensive to build in this town because so many people keep moving here, especially in the south part of town. Thousands of families are moving into that part of the city every year, and it has driven up the price of construction dramatically. So it's a lot of money. But remember, the whole reason we planted our new campus in the south part of College Station is because all of those families are moving there, and there's not enough churches yet to serve them. We want to create a home for them to come to know Jesus. So $16 million to build Creekside, $2 million for campus number four. And then finally, $2 million more to reach every nation. We believe that God has done something special and unique at Grace Bible Church. We believe we have been incredibly blessed. And so we want to, to be a blessing to the nation and to the world. And we believe that the best way for us to bless this country and the rest of the world is to plant new churches like this one. And so these wouldn't be new campuses. These would be their own independent churches. We want to plant one here in the United States in a city where there's a big campus like Texas A&M, where we can get students and families worshiping together. And then we want to do the same thing overseas in a gateway city where there's a big campus and we can introduce people to Jesus. So two million to plant or begin to plant two new churches. So you add all that up 
it's 32 million. Now, I know that's a lot of details. So what we have actually done for you is we have written a book that we want to give you this morning. If you are on the end of a row and look under your seat, there's a stack of these. There's enough for every single person to have one. So take one and pass it down. This Every Knee book is yours to take. Um, We have extras. If if there's anybody in your family who needs one, you can get an extra from the foyer today. Just go out there to the information desk, and there's more of these. You can take one for anyone who's missing today. This Every Knee book will walk you through all the details. It begins with a letter from the pastors and elders sharing our heart with you for this next two-year season at Grace. Then we will walk you through the history and the impact that Grace Bible Church has had. Some of you are new. You don't realize we've been around for 50 years. God has done a lot through Grace. We'll walk you through that history. There'll be testimonies of people who have been impacted by Grace and are excited to be part of what God does next. Then we'll give you all the details that we've covered so far, all the financial details, all the goals, so you can know exactly what we're talking about. We want to be open and transparent with all of that. And then at the end of the book, we've given you discussion questions for each of the next five sermons. So for five sermons, we're going to talk about generosity, about us giving our our time, our skills, and our wealth to God and, and why we do that. And there'll be discussion questions for each of those sermons, along with a place to write sermon notes. So actually today's, if you want to follow along, is page 46. You can turn there and take notes from today's sermon. If you are in a small group, the small groups will be going through this book today together so you'll have a chance to talk about those discussion questions if you're not in a small group and would like some people to process this with we're going to have small groups at anderson the anderson campus on wednesday night starting this wednesday at 7 p.m and you can gather with other people in the congregation and talk about what god is calling us as a church to do next so those are your books you may have noticed there was a card stuffed into the books as well let me explain that we're calling that the commitment card you'll fill out your name and and your commitment before the Lord, what he's calling you to commit to your local church over the next two years, and you'll turn that in. But let me explain. I'm not doing it today. Let me explain really clearly. Hope you guys hear this. This is not a pledge card. We will never call you. We will never come knock on your door and tell you to pay up. That's not what this is about. That commitment card is a tool for you and for us. It's a tool for you. And what I mean by that is that card is designed that over the next five weeks, as you and and your family think about that card, it's designed to help you think strategically about what you give to your local church. I don't know if you're like me, but most of my giving these days is all automated through like bank drafts or credit card, which is wonderful. That's a great tool to have. The problem is it's really easy to get lazy. And not engage your heart and your mind in your giving and think strategically about what God is calling you to do. So this card is a tool to help you think about what God is, is calling you to do. It's, it's, not, it's not about us. It's about you going before the Lord. So to help you think strategically. But second, that card is a tool for us. And here's what I mean by that. The elders and, and the staff, we believe God is calling us to this $32 million goal over the next two years. But we could be wrong. Because we're not God. We don't know. We want to hear from God. And part of the way that God speaks to the leadership of the church is through the people of the church. We, we need you to speak to us. And so when you turn in your cards and we add them all up, that will help us to make wise decisions. Now, just to be perfectly clear, I will never see your card. 
Brian will never see your card. Matt will never see your card. None of the teaching pastors or campus pastors, none of the elders will see your card. The only people who will ever see your card are the only people already who ever see anything you give, which is our financial department. They're the only ones who see it. None of us will. So I don't know what you give. I'll never know what you give. And I like it that way. Instead, what they'll do is add up all the numbers and give us the total. And that total will be God speaking to us. Because if you commit... $32 million, if that's what we all commit together, then what is God saying? Go forward. He's confirming that vision. If the number is less than 32, then that's God saying to us, slow down and pray. You haven't heard fully from me yet. You need to pray and see what I'm doing. Or it may be that it's more than 32 million that's donated. And God says, hey, you haven't dreamed big enough yet. So we want to hear from you all, and we will when you turn in your commitment cards and we add them all up and and can see what God is saying to our church next. So those commitment cards, you won't turn them in for a while. It's not for another five weeks. The one we've given you is just yours as a tool you can can write on and be thinking about. We'll give you another one when it's time to turn one in. So that's what every knee is about. Now, if we're honest with one another and just up front with one another, this is not the kind of thing that Grace Bible Church really does very much, is it? In fact, we've never done a giving initiative like this, this big or this, this bold before. So to some of us, it's going to feel unusual. To some of us, it may feel uncomfortable. So I actually want to begin by turning to Scripture and, and seeing a, a moment where God challenged his people in the same way towards a giving initiative. And where we're going to turn is Exodus 35. So you can turn there now. Exodus is the second book in your Bible. So it's way over towards the beginning of your Bible. Chapter 35 is shortly after the Israelites have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. God has brought them out of slavery. And now he is going to challenge his people to build what's called a tabernacle. It was the first version of the temple. It was like a portable temple where they could worship God. So God is challenging them to build a place of worship. Let's pick up the story in chapter 35, verse 4. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, on and on. What's happening here is that through Moses, God is challenging his people to bring the raw materials that would be needed to build this temple-like structure. It would take a lot of gold and silver and bronze and fancy fabrics to put it all together. Okay, so God challenges the people to bring the raw materials. Now let's pick it up in verse 20. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit was moved came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Then all those whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord, every man who had in his possession Blue and purple, scarlet, material and fine linen, goat's hair. They all bring these raw materials. Whoever had these raw materials for the temple, they brought them as an offering to God to build the tabernacle. And and it's interesting, the language that's used there talks about their hearts being stirred up. The word heart in, in Hebrew, it means desire. 
what you want to do. And, and the point of the author is to say none of these people feel, felt obligated. They felt a desire to give towards the construction of, of God's house where he would be worshipped. And let's see what happened. Turn to the next chapter, chapter 36, and let's pick it up in verse 3. They, that is the builders, the people who had actually constructed the tabernacle, received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing. And they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction Construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, Let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. And so their desires are so stirred up that they don't bring the bare minimum out of obligation. Instead, they are extravagant. They bring generously out of joy. And and that leads us to the fundamental question that we're going to try to answer over the next five weeks. Really the big issue that we get here in this passage. Why should we become generous and joyful givers of our time, of our skills, of our wealth to the Lord? Why? Because really, Exodus 35 is not about the fact that they gave. It's about how they gave. It's about the fact that when God said, bring me an offering, they were joyous to bring their highest and best, to be extravagant to God. Why? What did they know about generosity that motivated them to give so generously and so joyfully to God? That's what we're going to try to to wrestle with over the next five weeks. And as we wrestle with this question, it will challenge each of us to think, am I a generous and joyful giver like they were? If not, why? What's keeping me from giving joyously like like they did? What changes would have to happen in my life for me to be generous and joyful to God like they were? Now, I won't sugarcoat this. It's going to be convicting and challenging for you and for me. It's not easy for me to talk about money. This is really hard. We're doing it, though, because we believe that until you give to God, not, not just about what you give to the church, but to charity, to missions, to everything God is doing, Until you learn to give generously to God, you are missing out on an incredible amount of joy you could have in this life and the next. And we don't want that for you. We want you to know the joy that these men and women had through being generous to the Lord. So that's why we're, we're talking about this over the next five weeks. We want to help you to, to discover the joy of generosity. So, Why should we become generous and joyful givers to God? As I often do in my sermons, why don't I begin with the wrong answers? So let's start there. Let me give you four wrong answers to this question. These will never be the answers we at Grace will give to you for why you should give. Okay, so let's jump right in. Wrong answer number one. Why should you become a generous and joyful giver to the Lord? Well, because God needs my money. No, he doesn't. God needs absolutely nothing from you. 
God will accomplish everything in the world he wants to accomplish with or without us. Grace Bible Church is not in any way necessary to God accomplishing his will. We're told in Acts 17, God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need anything. From us. That's why the elders and pastors, we can really hold this vision with an open hand. If this is not something you share, and if you don't commit the money, that's okay, because God doesn't need this. God is sovereign. He will accomplish his purposes. So don't give because you think you're doing God a favor. He doesn't need your money. Second wrong answer. Let's become generous and joyful givers because then God will make us rich. You hear that a lot? from prosperity preachers, from some churches out there. If you give financially to God in this life, he will return the favor. He will multiply your wealth so that you end up rich. That is false. The reward of generosity is not in this life. It's in the next life. have to be very clear about that. How do we know that? Because look at the greatest examples of faith in the New Testament church. Peter, Paul, James, What did they get for giving literally everything to God? Imprisonment, torture, and death. So if God didn't reward their faithfulness with riches, he's not going to reward our faithfulness with riches. That's not how it works. So don't give to God financially because you think God's going to return the favor. No. Third false answer. Let's become generous and joyful givers because God will love us more. No. No, no, no. That's not how God's love works. Do you realize that God already loves you infinitely? God has already given you infinite and unconditional love. Let me prove it to you. Very famous verse, Romans 5, 8. Some of you have memorized this. If you haven't, it's worth memorizing. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still sinners, rebelling against God, enemies of God, what did God do? Well, the ultimate expression of love. He sent his son who willingly, out of love for you, died in your place. He took all of your sin, all of your punishment in your place and then rose from the dead, defeating sin and Satan and death for you. That is the greatest expression of love that has ever been revealed and it is already yours for free. So you don't have to give any money to God so that God will like you more. He can't like you more. He already likes you infinitely. So don't ever give money because you think that God will love you more for it. He already loves you as much as you could ever be loved or ever will be loved. So we don't give to get the love of God or so he likes us more. Fourth and final wrong answer. Hopefully you know this one is wrong. Become generous and joyful in your giving because you'll be more likely to go to heaven. No, 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 no. We were very clear about that last week. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not by works, not by money you put in the plate. No, it is a free gift. That's the meaning of grace. It is absolutely essentially that you realize your giving has nothing to do with you going to heaven. Heaven, forgiveness, eternal life, the love of God, they are completely free gifts that you have just by saying yes to Jesus. So these are answers you will never hear at Grace. 
None of this is why we're generous to God. None of this is why we give. God is the first giver, and he is the most extravagant giver, and he has already given to you eternal life and his infinite love. You don't have to pay that back. That's yours for free. Okay, so if all of these are wrong answers, then why should we be generous? Why should we joyfully give all that we are and all that we have to Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you five answers over the next five weeks. So let me give you number one. Answer for this morning. Become a generous and joyful giver because giving is how we worship and God is worthy of our worship. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to need to prove both points in this statement to you. Giving is how we worship and God is worthy of our worship. Let's start with the beginning. Because giving is how we worship. I want to connect for you the idea of giving and worship. I want to help you to see that they fit together, that they're related. First of all, it depends on how you define the word. A lot of us hear the word worship and we think about singing. Singing is worship, but it's actually only one very small part of worship. The word worship in English, it actually used to be worth-ship was how the word was in English. Worship meant declaring the worth of someone. You're declaring that they have incredible worth, incredible value, that they're wonderful, that they're awesome. And so when you break it down, what is worship? Well, it's anything that you say or do that declares the worth, the goodness, the greatness of God. That includes much more than just your singing. Anything you say or do including your giving. And and let me prove to you, when when you give to God, you are worshiping God. You are declaring to the world how great and good your God is. I'll prove it with Philippians chapter 4. So if you're looking there in Philippians chapter 4, let's pick it up in verse 15. Paul says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So Paul was a missionary, and he went around planting churches, and the Philippians, the church in Philippi, sponsored him. They, they gave money, they donated money to support Paul so he could eat and have a place to sleep as he did this missionary work of planting churches. But here's what's really amazing. Look at verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And, and it's the last part of that verse there in Philippians 4 is so significant. He says that when you gave to me, you weren't just feeding me. You weren't just getting me a room to sleep in at night. You were giving an offering to God. It was like you were sacrificing an animal and the fragrant aroma pleased God. That's Old Testament language. Paul is reminding them of of Old Testament sacrifices. You were sacrificing something and it pleased God. Literally, it delighted God's heart. To smell that, that fragrant aroma of the financial gift you gave to Paul. Paul's point is that when we give to the church or to missionaries or to charity, it's not a, about just meeting practical needs. It is itself an offering of worship to God. Your gift is declaring the worth of God. And let me illustrate it for you. If you want to understand the connection between giving and worship, think about the boy who wants to propose to a girl. So this boy, and he loves a girl. 
And he wants to have that girl as, as his wife. He wants to show her how much he loves her. And so what does he do? Well, he scrimps and saves and buys a ring. That's how we do it in our culture. And usually that ring is very expensive relative to whatever he earns. That's kind of how it works. It always requires scrimping and sacrificing to save up enough for that ring. For me, when I was in seminary, I met this girl named Julie, and she was awesome, and I really liked her, and I wanted to make her mine. And so I scrimped and I saved at a time when I couldn't even afford tuition. I I had to sacrifice everything I could, cut every corner, do everything I could. It was really hard to save up the money for that ring, but guess what? It wasn't painful. It was hard, but it wasn't painful. It was actually joyous to watch that savings grow month after month. Why? Because I desperately wanted to give as great a ring as I could to this girl to show her and her family and her friends how wonderful she was in my eyes. It wasn't painful at all to spend that money on that ring. It was thrilling because I so wanted to declare her worth to her and her friends and her family. I wanted to show the world how awesome she was in my sight. I have this friend, this guy, I just love him. He's not even a believer yet. I keep sharing the gospel with him, but he loves cars like I do, and he has this really stunning, beautiful car. He shows all over the the country. And I mean, he is always saving and spending on this car. And then he met a girl who he really likes, and it was time to propose to her. And I thought, man, this is going to be the hardest thing ever for this guy to have to give up stuff for his car that he loves. And yet I watched him give up all of that out of joy. I mean, this dude sat down and he sketched out, he's like an incredible designer, he sketched out this ring and had it custom made for her. Why? Because he wanted to show the world, my car is nothing compared to you. You are incredibly valuable in my eyes. That's how it works. We scrimp and we sacrifice and we give to show the incredible worth of the one we love. But imagine this. What if when I'm dating Julie and I decide I'm going to propose to this girl, I scrimp and I save up every penny I can and then I go out And I buy an Xbox for myself, and I give Julie a twisty tie. And I say, well, you know, I got like 10 twisty ties in my drawer, you know, from all the bread. And and they come in different colors. So, I mean, you can pick whatever color you want. Isn't that great? Well, no, it's not. Because what does that declare to Julie and to the world? Well, she's not very special. She's not worth much in my eyes. She's worth a twisty tie. That's dishonoring to her. That shows the world that there's nothing special about her. That's exactly what the Israelites did towards the very end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. I'll I'll read the passages to you here. Malachi chapter 1. This is God speaking. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Well, by offering polluted food upon my altar, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? So in the Old Testament, worship was primarily through sacrifice of animals or grain or wine, not through singing. And so week after week, they would gather like we just gathered, and they would offer their highest and best to God, except sometimes they didn't. Sometimes instead, they grabbed their lowest and worst. They grabbed animals that weren't worth anything, blind, lame, sick. These animals are going to die. They're worth nothing on the open market. So what they're doing is they're saving their best animals for themselves. 
They're, they're making sure that all their wealth stays in their pockets and they give God what is worthless. They give God the twisty tie and God hates that. He tells them later in the same chapter, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, said the Lord of hosts, but you profane it. Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God was infuriated that his people were offering to him worthless worship. Now, why is God so upset at this? Well, it's not because your God is a narcissist who needs your worship. No, God is infuriated because he loves the nations. He loves people who don't yet know him. But why would those people who don't yet know God think anything of God if his own people don't care enough to give him anything better than twisty ties? That's the point of all of this. When his people offer him worthless worship, what it says to the world is this God doesn't really deserve your time or attention. Don't pay any attention. Even his people don't like him that much. And that infuriates God because that leaves the nations in the dark. Here's how I think of it. When when I don't give generously to God, what I'm actually doing is cheating the nations who don't know him yet. Because what I'm saying to to them is don't bother with this God. He's not that important to me. Why should he be important to you? And so we give generously to lift God up, to hold him up as worthy and great and wonderful in the eyes of the world so they will be attracted To worship him. David, King David, made a lot of mistakes in the course of his life, but he didn't make this mistake. You don't have to turn there, I'll just tell you the story. In 2 Samuel 24, God tells David to go build an altar of worship. Okay, so David, go spend your money to build a place of worship to me, and God tells him exactly the land to buy. And so David goes to buy that land, and the landowner shows up as David is still walking up and surprises him. The landowner says, hey, David, you can have the land for free. I I donate it to you, and I give you uh, all the wood that you'll need to build the altar, and I give you my oxen so you can sacrifice them on the altar and worship. And Wow, that sounds awesome. David, you get to obey God and worship God, and it will cost you nothing. But David says, no, far be it from me to offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing. David realizes God said worship, and if I offer you something that is worthless, it costs me nothing, then that shows the nations God isn't really important to me. I only worship him at a discount. So David pays for the field. For the, he buys everything at full price because he wants to show the world that his God is worthy. And that's the final point that we want to talk about this morning. Our God is worthy of our worship. We give because giving is worship, and our God is is worthy of our worship. And if you want to prove that, how do you know that your God is worthy of your generous and sacrificial worship? You need turn no further than the book of Revelation. I'll put the verses on the screen. Chapters 4 and 5 are all about how worthy your God is of your worship, of your sacrifice, of your love. And so I'll start with chapter 4. And the verse I'll focus in on is verse 11. It says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So why is your God 
worthy of your sacrificial worship. Reason number one. There's going to be two of them. Reason number one. Because he's your creator. He created the whole universe. He created this planet. He created your body. He created everything you enjoy in life. He made it all. And how much did he charge you for it? Nothing. You didn't pay for any of that. It was a free gift. God gave to you before you were even born. God gave to you in the act of creation. And what's really amazing, I and mean, you kind of have to, to study, you have to go back and look at other ancient religions, and it's fascinating to do. And what you'll learn is that in all other ancient religions, why were human beings created by the gods? To be slave labor. That is your intended purpose, to serve the gods so they can relax. But in Christianity, why did God create you? Out of love to rule and enjoy. Genesis 1 is explicit about that. We have the only religion that says that. Your God created you not to be his slave labor, but to enjoy and rule over all the works of his hand. You were created out of grace and out of unspeakable love. God gave you the universe as a gift you will never pay back. So why is your God worthy of your worship? Because he is your creator who has given you all of creation for free. But not only is he your creator, the second reason why God is worthy of your worship, chapter 5 of Revelation, because he is your redeemer. We're told in chapter 5, verse 12, worthy is the lamb that is Jesus who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is worthy of all of these things, including our wealth, including our money, our riches, our possessions. Why is Jesus worthy of us sacrificially giving to him? We're told three verses earlier. Chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why is Jesus worthy of your highest and best? Because he gave his highest and best for you. Jesus redeemed you from sin, and what was the price? His own life. That's a greater price than you will ever pay for anything. Your creator sacrificed himself to purchase you out of sin, out of death, so that you could have eternal life and forgiveness as a free gift. And and that's one of the most important things for us to realize. No matter how generous you become and no matter how much you give, guess what? God will always be the greater giver. Always. You're never going to outgive God. I don't care if one of you walks up with a $32 million check. It's nothing compared to what God has already given you. And so when we think about being generous towards God, we have to recognize the fact God has already been more generous to us than we will ever come close to being generous to him. And so when we think about worshiping God, why is God worthy of our worship? Well, because he is our creator and redeemer who gave first and who gave more. When you give to God, do you realize you're just doing what Jesus already did for you? You're not doing anything new. You're just being like Jesus when you give extravagantly because he gave first and he gave most. And that's the ultimate motivation for giving your time, your money, your life, your skills, your resources. You give because God gave first and God gave most. And we want to lift him high in the eyes of the nations so that they can come to know God like we do as the great giver who gave first and gave most so that we could have eternal life as a free gift. And so we've saved our worship for the end this morning because we want to respond that way. 
And what we're about to do in worship, it's, it's bigger than just this book or this, this initiative. That's not what, this is about the greatness of your God. I'm going to challenge you in the next few minutes as John Mark leads us. I want you to participate in this worship, and I want you to sing like you mean it. I want you to sing boldly and loudly in declaration of the fact that you believe your God is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your all. Because not only did he create you, but he died for you. So you could have eternal life as a free gift. Let's declare how worthy our God is because he gave first and he gave most. You can stand. Jesus Christ, you are Lord, even in the midst of the storms of our lives. We praise you that you are sovereign over heaven and earth. And I praise you that in all of your power and majesty and might, you would choose to care about little people like us. We can offer you nothing that you need. We we play no part in your universe that is necessary. You don't need anything from us. We truly have nothing to offer you that you would lack without us. And yet out of grace, you care. You care so much about us. You love us so much that you, Lord Jesus, died in our place and rose from the dead to give us eternal life as a free gift. And you fill us with your spirit and you give us your church and you watch over us and you offer us eternity with you and perfection in heaven. And we praise you for your extravagant love. And above all else, in this next season of of life for our church, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would stir our hearts to love you more. I pray that above all else, we would believe that you are worthy of all that we are and all that we have. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that out of that belief that you are worthy, that we would boldly tell others who don't yet know you about how great you are. We pray that tens of thousands would come to know you as their Savior, Lord Jesus, because of this church. Use us to reach the nations whom you love. In your name, Jesus, and for your glory we pray. Amen. Feel free to take another book. There's plenty there. If you have somebody who wasn't here this morning, you want to give one to. All the information we've shared will be on this website on the screen right now. God bless you guys. See you next week.